You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about value and getting shit done. So a lot of people have ideas and they have dreams, and I'm sure we all know people who see something new come out and then they claim, oh, that was my idea. That was my idea. I, that should have been mine, et cetera. But it's become so clear to me over the years that the biggest differentiator between entrepreneurs and dreamers is action. They do shit. They get shit done. And in the process, they typically are also taking quite a lot of risks in order to make it happen. And I think that needs to be called out. So I want to do a, a quick intro our today's guests and how we got connected. So in the fall of 2020, long story short, I found myself going through Exit Planning Institute's SEPA program, Certified Exit Planning Advisor program, which is relevant to today's guest because today's guest is Exit Planning Institute's president, Scott Snyder. And so as I went through this program, at the end of it, Scott kind of called me out and he was like, wait a second you own a marketing agency. Why are you going through the SEPA program, which is predominantly gone, like predominantly a lot of advisors, financial advisors go through it. And I was like, but wait a second, Scott, I'm a business owner. Like, shouldn't I know this stuff? Like, this is all about building value in my business. It's relevant to me as an owner. But again, it's like people don't necessarily always take action on the things that they should. So in the spring of 2021, We went ahead and collaborated on a marketing masterclass, and we've actually been working together since June of 2021. And now thank you to Scott. I'm also speaking at the Exit Planning Summit in May of 2022. So we're going to definitely chat about that for a second. So in the name of getting shit done and arguably going about it in a very roundabout way, a very like potentially non-traditional way. I'm super pumped to introduce today's guest, my colleague, my friend, Scott Snyder. Scott is the president of Exit Planning Institute, we call it EPI, and the operating partner of Snyder Premier Growth, a small family investment company. Scott is a nationally recognized industry leader, growth specialist, and lifetime entrepreneur. As the operational and strategic leader of EPI, Scott thrives in helping advisors learn how to educate clients achieve market distinction, and deliver real results, aka get shit done. So welcome, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kylie. Great to be here. Um, All right, Scott. So I know that there's like so much stuff that we could talk about, and I'm hoping that this conversation is- Typically how our conversations go, right? Just like- Yeah, no, they like just keep going. So this should be good. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping that I'm able to gift you a conversation that you don't typically have because I know you do plenty of interviews. So as we mentioned, Scott, you are the president of EPI, and that's what most people know you as. But I feel like I'm privileged in knowing that you have your hands in a few other things. So I wanted to take just a moment to identify the other businesses that you have your hands in. And and maybe if you want to give us a little bit of background in terms of how you got to where you are, because I love your story. I think it's very unconventional. And I think it's a really true example of just like doing it making it happen yeah sure well i appreciate that yeah i guess uh just in yeah, brief background uh i yeah pretty untraditional i went to uh college i started my first business i guess the whole story starts 
probably, I guess that would have been like sophomore year of high school, where instead of paying attention in geometry class, I was writing my first business plan to start my first company. So <laughs> that didn't really come to life for about another year. So I had my first job and my only job ever was when I was about 16. I was a janitor at an all boys high school. So I was cleaning toilets uh, with one of those like big zip up things, you know, pushing a cool little cart. I thought it was kind of sweet. And then I after a while, I'm like cleaning bathrooms. Well. I encourage you to yeah, bring that back. Like, I'm kind yeah. of into it, but I'm saying after a while of cleaning all boys bathrooms, that <laughs> was not a, a great place to be for me. So we put a lawnmower in the a back of a Ford Taurus sedan, called ourselves landscapers, started this company that sits above my head here on, on the screen and um, started our first company called MS Connection Landscaping. And we did that from about 16 or 17 years old till I was about 25. And we successfully sold. So I had my first exit when I was 25, I guess, unconventionally or untraditionally. I went to school for a year. I uh, was a good student, right? Got, I think I had like a 3-3 or a 3-4 in the first semester, but I got so busy running and operating my company. I always laughed because I always remember my roommate. Or maybe everybody has a stereotypical college story like I do. You're sitting in your dorm room, small closet kind of space. Yes. Beds are lofted. Desks are underneath. My yes. buddy was underage drinking beer in the middle of a day, playing, <laughs> video, playing, playing video games with a bunch yeah. of other dudes from our dorm room. Well, I had big headphones on trying to write proposals and I would always get so frustrated because I'm like, Jesus, can we just like stop for a second? Yep. Uh, so by the time I um, by the time I reached my second semester, I got like a 1.75 GPA, lost <laughs> all my academic, lost all my academic scholarships, had to kind of put my tail between my legs and walk up to dad and say, dad, like I got to I want to leave school. Now, parents are fantastic. I'm in business with my dad today but pretty traditional life, right? So like going to college was a big deal and a big thing that you should go do. Yep. So having this like serial type entrepreneurial personality that I guess I have, leaving college and not having a college degree was very scary for two parents. Like they're like, I just want my son to be, you know, on the right path. Anyways, yeah. I, I dropped out of school. I ended up going to horticulture school for a little bit, dropped out of that. Uh, to run my company full time. And um, we were able to sell it in what would have been, I guess, 2010. And uh, then I spent a year kind of wandering. I started this company that's over here, a, a professional indoor soccer team that's a part of the major arena soccer league. We did that for a couple of years. That ended up being an expensive hobby, not a real business. <laughs> uh, and then I started another. But you, play, you, you play soccer. This is not just, yeah, it's I not played, just a yeah, hobby. Yeah, I, that was a cool year. Yeah, yeah. That's another cool story. And that yeah. year where I kind of wandered in between like figuring out what I want. So in EPI and in Exit Planning Institute terms, we'd call that the third act or the next act of your life. So I had my first next act at 25, but I was not very personally planned. So I honestly, one of my biggest business lessons is that I realized very quickly that you can't let your company define who you are, right? A company is a part of who you Ooh. are, but it's not, it's not not who you are. That's such a big so, statement. Yeah. That's I mean, when statement. I was 25, that's like who I was, right? If you think about it, I had the oh, janitor yeah. job and then I started with, I started the company with my best friend, took a, call it a nine or 10 year run. And when I sold it, even though it was great and like lucrative and all this kind of cool stuff, you kind of were like, man, there goes my identity. Like I was Scott the landscaper. Like I wore, I loved wearing jeans, tucked in shirt and mowing lawns, planting trees, plowing snow. Like 
I enjoyed that style. I enjoyed that creativity. I enjoyed seeing the work product finish like at the end of the day and seeing your work. Yep. I'm still a pretty hands-on kind of guy. And then, then that was all gone. So, so um, yeah, I played. So one of the things I did, it was a bucket. You'll also find that I'm a big avid bucket list holder, but one of the bucket list items is I always wanted to go play professional soccer. So I'm always a big fan for any soccer fan listening. I'm not your traditional soccer fan either. I don't really like 11 v 11 outdoor soccer. I'm a goalkeeper. So it's wildly boring for me. So like you're going to play 90 minute games and you're only going to face like what, like 10 or 11 shots in a game. So I play the indoor game arena style soccer, where it's more like hockey. For those that don't understand, we have smaller goals and, and we only have six people on the field, five field players and a goalie. And I played actually last night and last night I probably in a 60 minute game faced about 45 shots. So nonetheless, I'm relatively sore right now, but, uh, <laughs> but the story goes is, yeah, that, that bucket list item was, I can remember talking to my sister about it. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go try out for at the time, this team was called the Ohio vortex. I'm going to go try out for this professional indoor soccer team. And, but I was nervous. I was like, dude, I'm kind of old. Like a bunch of guys are like younger than me. I haven't really played. Like I played recreationally. I haven't played competitively. And I was like, seriously, like 1130 at night, you had to have your application submitted. And my by midnight, my sister was like, dude, just do it. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get yeah. cut. Like, who cares? But if anybody doesn't know about soccer in America, or at least the arena soccer, it, everybody has an additional job, right? So it's like, it's like almost like the old school arena football days. Like no one's really doing it full time. So I could still work during the day. I could do this cool professional soccer stuff on the weekend or on the weekdays and then travel on the weekends. But I ended up making the team. So, so then I was like, uh, okay, I got to sign this cool. contract. And then I went into business with my dad. So, you, we, you know, I, my dad asked me to come in and said, Scott, I, I'd like you to help me grow my, my consulting practice. My dad was a, is, and was a certified exit planning advisor himself. And that became my kind of next act, helping him grow that company while playing professional soccer and tinkering and some of the other things. Uh, and then we bought the exit planning Institute. So here we are today. Isn't there like a music thing in there, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I mean, that's probably more of like a hobby business, but <laughs> obviously uh, pretty pretty uh, passionate about entrepreneurship and giving people opportunities. I think the music business is probably one of the hardest businesses to be in, and a lot of people go overlooked or not looked because they might not have the right connections, or maybe they just needed a quick boost in life because they didn't have enough courage to move to Nashville or move out to L.A., so yeah. We started a company called Cranage Road Records, and Cranage Road Records funds the first album for startup artists. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we have a couple, but no one like, no offense to my artists, but no one's like, you know, hitting the top charts. But yeah, it has certainly. Yeah. But if you do come to the summit, one of our bands, the Smoky Blue Band, which is my brother-in-law's band, will be flying in from Cleveland, Ohio, to play the exit, the exit planning summit. No okay, doubt. live music. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Yeah. So tinkering in a lot, total visionary entrepreneur, one core business, exit planning institute. That's the one that really matters for sure. Yeah, but I think it's important to just take a moment to call out. Like I was just having this conversation in terms of like using business to support your life. And I think so often you touched on it a little bit, like it's very easy to get lost in your business. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about our previous conversations is you are a multifaceted human and you have utilized business to help support that and in a really yeah. great way. And so 
that's why I wanted to just like put you on blast for just a second. Multi, yeah. because- <laughs> no, multifaceted. That's what I'm going to call myself well, when people want to describe my personality. Yeah. Multifaceted. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Lead with like that. It. I Lead will. with that. Okay. I want to go back to something you said for just a second, because I think you really touched on a big point on how uh, it's it's easy to lose yourself in your business and, and it becomes, yeah. in a lot of ways, your identity. So talk to me a little bit about how to not do that. Like, yeah. like what's the, what, what are the pitfalls no. and, and how do we avoid it? Yeah, I totally get it. No, I, I, uh, I would say that I, uh, didn't really round this out until about two years ago. So it yeah. took me about 10 years. So I knew it when I sold my landscaping company, mm-hmm. like I figured that out in the first year, like, man, like I'm not Scott, the landscaper, I'm Scott, the entrepreneur. So I can do music, I can do soccer, I can do landscaping, I can do professional education and credentialing. It wasn't really about, it was about the mission and purpose of the business. And it was about the challenge, the challenge and then the opportunities of being an entrepreneur is what I really love. But in all honesty, I don't think I really figured it out for another 10 years when I turned 35. And I think the solution for business leaders, for owners, for really anybody in between mm-hmm. is you have to understand what your personal purpose is first. And once you yeah. figure out, and it sounds so like, as you kind of get to know me, like I'm not a very like cloudy kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? You're not so, like, fluffy? Into this, yeah, not like, yeah, like, like the fluffy, fluffy. like, <laughs> no, I'm not like, you know, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not fluffy. Like, it's just not me, but the more direct way is like, I'm not really a soft issue kind of guy, right? Certainly admittedly a struggle, but, and it sounds, I think to other folks that are probably like me, like, okay, here's a guy, another guy that's going to talk about vision and purpose and core values. But I will literally tell you, if you actually just cut through the softness a little bit and spend a little bit of time, like personally reflecting on like, what, what is the meaning of like, why I'm here? Uh, And what is my purpose? You'll change what you do in life. It'll help you balance your life, right? It'll help you do be a better business leader. It'll help you be a better husband or wife. It'll be let you be a better son, a better friend. Because, and it actually, for me today, sitting here like two years later, I'm sitting like, man, I'm telling you, it's like a relief. Because I I say no to more shit than I've ever done ever. Because I know it's just not on purpose. Like, no offense to you. But that's not, like, I don't want to do that. Because that's just not... Where in the past, you felt like maybe you should, or like, I'm also yep. very community involved. So you find me like very spread out across community. And now fortunately, I'm like, okay, even though I enjoy that, because I know my purpose, I'm not going to spend time there. And I'm going to spend more time over here because not only is it on purpose, but because it's on purpose, it's more fulfilling. So I think the lesson there is, and how you combat losing yourself or losing your identity in your, in, in your company as an owner is to make sure that it's on purpose. So when your company sells, you already know what you want to do in the next act of your life because you understand your pers- purpose. And likely, if you understand your purpose, you have a vision for what your life is all about. Like for me, as an entrepreneur at a very young age, I framed out what my life wanted to be. And I chose being an entrepreneur because it was the best way to get to that life. Yeah. So I, and I use honestly like my bucket list to say, okay, I want to do these types of things in life. Yeah. How do I do that? Time, money, resources, flexibility, 
it's got to be owning a business. And yeah. so at 15, I painted a life that I want to live and I'm not there yet, but I like to think that I'm getting there. Has it stayed the same or have you pivoted over time? Well, I mean, I think it kind of pivots with the pivot of life. Yeah. Right. Like undoubtedly, we could probably all agree when I created that list at 15, I was quite different <laughs> at 21. Right. Well, and then okay, at 21, so. I think I had probably another shift in life at 25. Yeah. I've also been married and divorced. So that shaped my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to think differently when I actually went to this transformational leadership training that allowed me to discover my personal purpose yeah. and redefine my core values for me and my company. So I went through another. So I would say, yeah, it's probably evolved, but I think the core things of who I am as a person, my personality, and some of the things I'd like to achieve in life are, are pro- well, the core is probably, or is still all the there. same. Yeah. I love that you touched on that. And I love that you specifically touched on that because you're definitely not a fluffy person, but I, yeah. I really agree with you. And, and that's become my philosophy too, is I, I feel like you have to build for business owners, you have to build your business in alignment with your personal goals and values, because otherwise I think there's just an ongoing tension, whether you can yep. name it or not. That's, that's my theory. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think most people can't name it because they don't yeah. know what it is because they don't have personal purpose. So yeah. it's like, I like my business. We sell a good product or service, but there's just something missing for me. Yeah. And it's not bad because I'm making good money and everything seems okay. Yeah. And then it starts to get bad. Right. So yep. like take like our global pandemic two years ago when mo- a lot of companies had to make a massive pivot mm-hmm. when it gets real hard. Now you're like, Oh man, I hate this stuff. Yes. You're like, I don't care. Like the customers, yeah, like, why are, all, am I doing customers this? are all on my ass. My product's not what I want to be selling. It's not quite what I wanted it to be. Like I got to get out. It so just you, you sell your company, right? So then, well, then you sell your company or maybe you don't, but you sell and now you're sitting here. Or you exit without selling. And so you have not, like, you're just, you just shut up. You like, shut down. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was talking to this guy the other day. Uh, and I think I told you the story, maybe one of our other, on one of our calls. It was a Monday morning at 9 a.m. So Monday morning for me, high energy. Like I try never to miss a Monday. And if I like literally... My Monday, because I got back from vacation, my Monday was yesterday and I came in the office and one of my team members was walking in the office and I was like beeping my horn, driving into the parking lot. And they're all like, (laughs) oh God, Scott's back from vacation. Here we go. But, you know, so Mondays for me are like banging, like people are like, there's a lot going on. We have a company wide meeting. We're all like, it's all, it's awesome. It's such an energy. So at 9 a.m. I've been rocking for like four hours on a Monday already. Oh I'm on the phone gosh. with this guy that was referred to me by a, uh, by a SEPA, so a certified exit planning advisor, said, hey, can you talk to my client? He just exited. I didn't get to do an exit strategy with him because I just became a SEPA. Mm. And he, but I'm now understanding what I know, like this guy is like the guy that we learned about it at class. Yeah, okay. So I call him up and he's in his 50s. His kids are, he has kids. He's divorced and alone. No girlfriend, no new wife. And he sold his business for literally multi-million dollars, two kids grown out of the house. And he said, man, Scott, you got a lot of energy for a 9 a.m. meeting. I'm like, oh, man, I've been like rocking for like three, four hours, man. Because I remember the days he's like, I'll tell you right now, I am in my boxer shorts shooting pool in my basement. He's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And it's because this guy sold his business. So maximize value, minimize taxes has a good financial plan. So this guy probably doesn't really have to work anymore. Mm -hmm. But given he has no personal purpose or vision, he's playing pool and he's like, this is boring as hell. I don't know what to do. I put this pool table in my basement 
not because I'm a pool player, because, you know, I have people over and people like to shoot pool and drink beer. So he's like, but I'm, I don't even like pool. And but I don't have nothing to do. <laughs> you know? So he's like, yeah. but he doesn't. That's but it. I mean, I but it's, it's a real, it's, it's a real thing. Like you, I, I have this love hate relationship with time. I hate the idea of wasting time. And I think to your point, exactly. Like when people build their businesses to the degree that they're either re- ready to sell or exit in whatever way that might look like, you're absolutely right. right that if you don't know yourself well enough to know what you're here to do, it's yeah. very lonely and you can get super lost. And even if you might, quote unquote, check the boxes of success across the board, as society says, if you yeah. don't really know what, like, like that's a very scary place to be. Well, so it's literally the way the Exit Planning Institute was founded. So 2005, Peter Christman and Rich Jackham, two pretty upscale professional investment bankers, so people that buy and sell companies primarily, work on the sell side, sold a guy's company for legitimately like $200 million. And the story goes that Pete and Rich were doing like a 90-day post-sale interview with this guy to just see how things were going. Yeah. And they said the guy... Seemed good, seemed happy, but there was like something missing. He didn't feel all that like satisfied or fulfilled. Yeah. And to the point where they, as investment bankers, are like, dude, like our job is to maximize value at the point of sale and yeah. get you good terms and get you good terms. Like we did our job and what, this guy got $250 million. How can he possibly be unhappy? And literally Rich turns to Pete and goes like, what the hell is this guy's problem, man? Like what a bummer. <laughs> and, Rich, and Pete turns back to Rich and goes like, honestly, man, like it's making me think maybe we didn't meet all of our clients' objectives. And they're like, well, what does that mm-hmm. mean? They're like, well, like $250 million sounds like a lot of money to us, but is it? Like maybe he lives like a lavish lifestyle and needs more. Or maybe he needed more because he had a big lofty goal. Like one day I want to own a NASCAR team. So I, I probably should have like two, $300 million, Right. So like, but if I just want to retire on the farm in little old Northern, Northern Ohio. I want to talk about that, but keep going. (laughs) Northern Ohio, right? If I want to just retire on a little Northern Ohio, little farm, like I might only need like 5 million or 10 million. Mm -hmm. So this guy's sitting there and they're like, so maybe we never really met his financial advisor. And we definitely didn't talk about what this guy wants to do in the next act of his life. Mm -hmm. So maybe he is unhappy. So Pete and Rich started to study this. And in 2005, came out with the book, The $10 Trillion Opportunity, which discussed the mindset of the baby boomer business owner mm-hmm. and the issues that they have in transition. And then as this industry, the exit planning profession now has built, really yeah. since 1998, I think is when our profession was kind of founded, if you will. But as we started to evolve and we see baby boomers older and next generation owners, people, millennials, and then Gen Xers, people in their 40s and 50s, enter the market as owners. We've seen similar problems of owners not really having this holistic mindset, getting deeply involved in the identity and the purpose of their company, and not wrapping this holistic mindset around. So, and that's why we're here today. But uh, I mean, I think this whole conversation probably stemmed from finding purpose yeah. And not letting your business identify you. But yeah, I think that our conversation so far, right? I think of the audience, I think that we would hope that, yes, Scott's not a fluffy guy, but you can see. <laughs> Main uh, takeaway is that, Scott is not a fluffy guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and I don't have any problem with fluffy. 
I probably I like fluffy people in my life because it makes me break down and you know be more emotional or like more in touch to my emotions. But nonetheless, in all seriousness, yeah, I think finding purpose for that guy in the boxers playing pool mm-hmm. or the two hundred million dollar guy that was like, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of do. money, but like, I'm, I'm my life kind of sucks. And you for know, most people, we're like, what? But it's it's serious. for sure. And I think, you know, as I went through the SEPA program, Scott, that was actually one of the things that that stood out the most to me. Okay, let me just like plug the SEPA program unprompted for just a second. It's like just such a shitload of information. It's so incredible and overwhelming in a great way. But I also just want to call out that I think you guys did a beautiful job of calling out the emotional part of exiting a business. And the identity that an owner feels connected to their business yep. and how you do set up properly for the next phase. Because it's so, I, I, I think people don't talk about it enough. And people talk about, or generally speaking, think about like, oh, somebody's going to exit their business. They're going to sell their business. They're going to become super wealthy, blah, blah, blah. Good for them. Your life's so hard. But they forget that they're still people. So I want to bring that back mm-hmm. to you. And I, I think that this touches on something that you're quite passionate about. Talk to me a little bit about like, what is it that like gets you so excited about supporting the full exit planning process and for you personally, and and maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe it ties to your purpose. Yeah, I think it does. I think that it does actually tie to my purpose. So all the audience cliffhanger, right? Like, oh, this guy's talking about purpose. What's your purpose? purpose my My purpose is like, I exist to drive significant experiences for other people. So I love experiences for myself like i never do a bucket list item without somebody doing it along with me like two years ago me and my sister walked on fire together and she was freaking like there's no way you guys are insane and (laughs) it was like a total confidence booster for her it was super cool yeah and like uh but yeah whether it's is something as simple in my own business like looking at my door at my own team right now like so driving professional development opportunities that maybe another employer would never gave them that mm-hmm. changes their life. Like my my one of my employees, John, just walked in and I'm his minister and his wedding coming up in October. Uh, I love, and I think that that's like, I was put on this earth to help people activate themselves. Uh, and action. so- Yeah, taking action. Maybe it is, right? Maybe mm-hmm. that's, a very, again, that's maybe what it is. But for the value acceleration methodology, which is what SEPAs are taught, to answer your question a little bit, why I'm so passionate is that it definitely changed my life. So I think that I have a little bit of a bias, I guess, because the only way I know how to run a company is through the value acceleration methodology. So maybe take a step back. So mm-hmm. my father, Chris, created the value acceleration methodology and call it 2011 and 12, when he was helping business owners like me and you mm-hmm. grow our companies but in a way that we can also harvest the value and, and exit them. At the time, his system was called buy, improve, grow, and sell. And when I got in there, I was like, dad, like, I think you have something here. And I think this is way bigger than just Northeast Ohio consulting with small to lower middle market business owners. Mm-hmm. And given the research that EPI was doing at the time, now this is before we bought it, and given the original $10 trillion opportunity book, like a lot of owners, including myself, like don't have this alignment of what we call business, personal, and financial elements, goals, and aspects. So I said, Dad, instead of 
working with owners. Let's work with professional advisors. And if the advisors that surround the owner all understand the holistic approach of value acceleration, we're going to have more successful exits in our country today. And today, they're pretty bad. Like, if you're a private business owner in the small to lower middle market, so call it like million dollars in revenue up to $200 million in revenue, you're only 20% likely to actually sell your business. In fact, let alone successfully, let alone successfully, you could be like the guy in the boxer. So he Mm -hmm. sold, but unsuccessfully, not monetarily, personally. So, but most of the companies don't even sell 80% don't sell. And so if you think about that, particularly driven by our baby boomer generation now, which is in that prime age Mm -hmm. of exit, if these companies don't exit, like, or don't successfully sell, like what happens to employment? What happens to like taxes that fund things, infrastructure, you know, like you know, what happens to charity, you know, and, and, and charitable giving in our community associations mm-hmm. and, and nonprofits? Like what happens to the American economy when small businesses don't work anymore? Well, so, and I know you guys also talk about so much of an owner's wealth is tied up in their business. Like it feels like a huge missed opportunity. Well, then there's that alone, right? So if you're a business owner and I'm no different than any anybody else, something like 70 to 80% of our wealth is trapped inside of our business. Like on a profit and loss statement with my business out of it, I'd probably look like a relatively normal dude, right? They're probably like, wow, that's a relatively normal American like profit and loss statement or a net worth statement. But when you add the business, you know, that could be somebody like the, the guy that could be $200 million of wealth, like that one guy that mm-hmm. Peter and Rich were talking to. Or it could be like, actually, great. One of our CEBAs in Pittsburgh had this guy, this one guy was like, I'm looking for a good advisor. This guy's a business owner. He's like, no one, none of these financial advisors want to talk to me because on paper, I'm only worth about a million, $1.2 million. And they typically, like these higher end shops, have like a $2 million net worth sh- th- th- threshold. Yeah. And this guy, O'Brien, being a SEPA, goes, well, let me look. Like, okay, you're a business owner. Have you got a value of your business? No. Let's do some quick calculations. And he's like, dude, your business is worth like $80 million. Holy shit. So this guy looks like $1.2 million, but most of his wealth is tied. Now, that's an extreme example. Yeah. that's serious. (laughs) Now, think about that. If that dude can't sell his business, that dude probably can never retire because he lives a lifestyle off an $80 million company. Like there is no doubt yeah. that I likely need the income from my business to sustain the lifestyle that I want. So, but when you go to sell when I'm 70, 60, 80, and you're like, I can't, like, what do you do? Yeah. So I'm passionate going back to maybe a little bit of the passion and the methodology of what we do today. I'm passionate about making business owners' lives better. I'm passionate about helping business owner build a business that's better today and harvestable or transferable or saleable whenever the time comes, whether that's tomorrow or whether that's in 10 years in a more formal transition or exit. I just think that if we do that, not only do we have a better economy, uh, we have better lives of people and business owners and their families, but uh, from, again, a business, personal and financial aspect, it's just better all the way around. For sure. By concentrating on value, it changes your whole world and conversation. And it frankly allows your employees to think more like you. I think every owner is like, man, I wish I had a more owner mindset and team. Right. 
They think yeah. like employees. They don't think like owners. Yeah. And I'm not saying one's bad or good, but I'm saying if you could relate more to the business owner, that's kind of the leader and driver or the mm-hmm. executive team who likely are thinking more like owners. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. like this, I think we were talking about this yesterday. It's like this thing that like this rising tides race, yes. right? Where like now you have employees that are like thinking like you, where they're thinking about how can I cut cost or generate more revenue? And how does that relate to value? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so those are the types of things that I'm passionate about, but those are the types of things that advisors come to the Exit Planning Institute to learn. And it's called the Value Acceleration Methodology. And it's what a certified exit planning advisor is certified within so that Mm -hmm. those advisors like you can now go out and say, if you take on, call it marketing, for example, we could put in these systems, rewrite these job descriptions, track this data, redo a website, write all this content, and it's going to generate this much leads for you. And if your sales guys close at the rates that they do, it's going to generate this much revenue. It's going to diversify your customer base. It's going to make you more profitable. Your business is going to grow. You can say that, and it's going to it's going to contribute this much more value to your company because of all this intangible stuff that we just created. Infrastructure and stuff, yeah. That makes it scalable, predictable, and transferable to the next owner. So mm-hmm. anyways, most people don't think like that as owners because they're in, they're running their business and that's what they're yeah, passionate they're about. They're likely making good money, but they're not thinking about the end. And the mm-hmm. end can come like that, right? The end can come like I could die today and I probably should have my shit together. Well, let's hope. But if I did, I'd like to know. I'd like to, well, I'd not like to think. I know that I've built a business that's independent of me so that my customers like you there are still certified exit planning advisors. There's still vendors supplying this company with, with goods and services. And we're still supplying products out there. And 20 employees at EPI still have jobs, whether Scott Snyder or Chris Snyder are here or not. Even like as we look at the pandemic and how that's changed things for so many people, there's just so many variables that could make the end come sooner, whether it's you get hit by a bus or a pandemic comes and changes literally everything. So yeah, I think it's just, I know you guys always say like exit planning is just good business planning. And I think that that's a just really a, smart way to approach it. And and a lot of times people always say, you need to think about like, have the end in mind and think about like yeah. how you build, build that bridge. Right. Yeah. I want to talk quickly. I know we've got a couple minutes here, but we know that building a business is hard and managing a team is hard. And we've had conversations about struggles of leadership, et cetera. So what would you say are some of the greatest lessons you've learned in building EPI? Yeah, so I'll give you, uh, I would say, I'm going to give you like a three-part answer here. The highest level, I'm going to say, if for the business owners listening today, concentrate on building the intangible capitals. The intangible capitals are customer capital, human capital, structural capital, and social capital. First two, pretty self-explanatory. Structural capital is the biggest capital. So it includes anything from your intellectual property to your your machinery, to your trucks, to your computers, to your uh, IT, your infrastructure there, to your documented processes, to your strategies, all of that, your accounting systems. Uh, And social capital is your culture, uh, your core values, the kind of way you kind of jive and rhythm and internally communicate. If you concentrate on building those, you're not only going to create a business that's more profitable today and have clients that are more entangled into what you do and employees that are retained long-term, 
you're going to have something that is more valuable when you want to exit or if you're forced to exit. So I think my highest thing that I've learned running uh, both to an M&S connection landscaping company and now more so into Exit Planning Institute is if you concentrate on the in intangible capitals, it, it, everything, it just changes your life. I guess deeper, I would say there's a wildly important, important, I would say it's wildly important to concentrate on data and the collection of data. Mm. This is actually one thing that you've helped me with. Like I've always been a data guy. Like I like research and I like understanding trends. And I think that that strategically is like really interesting and in building stuff. But I would say over the course of running Exit Planning Institute, which is a high growth company, like we'll grow yeah. 70 something percent year over year this year, we'll almost double our company size, understanding your data so you could appropriately predict where you want to go or understand your failures. Like I just had to answer this question for the Forbes Business Council. They said, you know, something around like, how do you understand failures? And I was like, well, you better have some good data so that you could understand legitimately. So where you can actually feeling, understand. Right? Yeah. So I think like the tracking of clean data is, is critically important, mm -hmm. but I would say just diving even deeper, maybe get, maybe I am a fluffy guy. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I don't think I you're say, a fluffy guy. I would say uh, <laughs> understanding and appreciating your people and knowing that the growth of your company as the business owner is at, as because of them and not at the expense of them. Yeah. So I think that treating people right uh, and having like very good communication, a clear set of core values uh, really creates a business that you like walking into every single day. But I think like the power of activating people, I think is probably the biggest thing that I've learned over my course of EPI, because when we bought EPI in 2012, it was me and one person. So back to the old school MS connection days when we started that and what it would have, would have been 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, we were had our first office in the back of a cigar shop. And yeah. <laughs> uh, now today, right, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary of, of purchasing EPI. We now have 20 people, right? Thanks. Yeah, now we have 20 people working here. And when you expand our family by our advisors like you, we probably have upwards of, shoot, 30 people. Yeah. So You've I built think a great just, network. A, bill, you know, a I, I just, solid support system. Between employees and advisors that work with me and the executive team and my dad, Chris, you know, I think that the, the power of people, understanding people, communicating is like a life lesson. I was literally with my girlfriend flying home. And I think I was telling you this story too. We have this couple's book, right? And we're in the couple's book and we're we're like answering these like, okay, fluffy. I think I am a fluffy guy. We're asking these like <laughs> fluffy questions and- she always laughs at me because she's like, Scott, you're always about communication. Like your, your answer to everything is better communication. And I honestly think better communication, whether it's in business or in politics or in our general lives mm -hmm. uh, and being just able to not just not know, always agree with people, but just understand them better. Yeah. Now apply that directly into business. Mm -hmm. It retains good people. It, it accelerates people's growth. And uh, it makes for a business that you like walking into every single day because you love not only the product and service and the customers, but you love your people because yeah. they actually challenge you. So those well, are like my three part answer from high to, to deep. Okay. Well, those are or from hardcore. I love to those. I don't know. <laughs> okay, but I think I love that you added people in there. I love that you added communication because it's so true. I think one of the biggest 
barriers that we have from growth, whether that's personal growth or business growth or whatever it is, is not being able to effectively communicate because there's some wall up or we are making an assumption or we think we know, but we don't actually know. So I love that you call that out because it's true. And I will say too, as an owner, I have avoided having some hard conversations and the longer I avoided it, the uglier it got. And then once I finally had them, it was like, well, why didn't I just do that? It would have been so much easier and everyone would have been better off. So yeah, I I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. I think that we, and it's, everybody's like, that's listening is probably like, here we go again. This guy's like, okay. Like that's, I mean, I know that's ideally what everybody wants, but like, how do you go do that? There are tools for you guys to go do it. And it's even when you have the tools and you understand the practice, it's still difficult, but it gets better just like anything else. Like if you want to be a good golfer, why I suck at golf because I only (laughs) play three times a year. So like when I get out there, I get pissed off. And I'm like, well, dude, well, you, you don't practice. If you went to the driving range, if you played for the yeah. three years, like you might be able to hang out with these guys and not be all pissed off all the time. But it's like anything else that you do in life. So does that mean that when we're out in Scottsdale for the exit planning yeah. summit that I should yeah. take you up on nine holes because I maybe yeah. have more experience than you? You do golf. If you golf, I'll totally play golf. Like I'm not like horribly bad, but I'm not horribly good. <laughs> like, but I'll challenge you to a little, maybe like, I'll happily challenge you any day. Scott. Oh, ooh, ooh. What about putt, 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 putt could work a little putt. bit better. Dude, I'm I sure hate putt, putt. putt. I hate putting. I'm a bad okay. driver and a bad putter, but like in between, I'm pretty good. <laughs> We'd make a good scramble. That's what we should do. We should get Let's a scramble together. Let's do that. I'm good. I can go off the tee and then I'm pretty good at putting sounds like i'm better than you but in the middle is where i struggle okay then we should we should tackle that i literally still carry around the clubs that i had when i was i've had these clubs for literally 10 years this is also probably why i'm bad because my clubs suck ass but (laughs) i i carry around my clubs in particular because there's a seven iron in there that i literally whacked against the tree because i was doing so bad at one time so the handle is just like like bent like this and it just sits in my bag. So every time like I see reminder. it, I keep the handle, I keep the handle up and it's curved over the bag like that. Say, okay, calm down. Just I calm love that. Down. Good for right? you. Because that's self-awareness. Yeah, like in a, in a, another life and maybe another show, like I was a pretty aggressive dude, like in my twenties, like I was pretty heated at talk about no communication skills and no appreciation for people that was almost spot on for me. Well, so, it sounds like you've done a great job growing. Too, right? Oh, yeah. I would like human. to think. I mean, not just like, you know, I'd like to thank them all. I'm a judge of you guys and my judge is everybody else. So I, I think I'd like to think that I'm, you know, I've certainly evolved my thought process along the way. But, um, but yeah, but golf, Scottsdale, May 1st, I'm in. There you go. Um, and I want to take just a second. Uh, sure. If you want to take a moment and talk like, for 60 seconds about the exit planning summit coming up in May. Uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. The exit planning summit is for all folks, whether you're a certified exit planning advisor or not, whether you're a business owner, uh, or not, or a professional advisor and anybody's really welcome at the summit. The summit is all around how to grow value in your business and, and make it transferable. So if you're looking for a better business today, a more transferable business tomorrow, if you're looking for a shot of energy, a spark of strategic thinking. This is what it's all about. So we come together, the community, the EPI community puts on a, a, a summit each year. This year it's in Scottsdale, Arizona, May 1st to May 3rd. 
uh, and we have some pretty awesome speakers. We have power sessions, which are like TED Talks, so very mm -hmm. thought-provoking and strategic. Uh, Kylie is speaking a part of our main stage sessions on like day formal day one of the conference, yeah. flanked by three other amazing uh, keynote-style speakers, including Gina Wickman, who yep. is the founder of EOS Worldwide, who just mm -hmm. came out with a book called EOS Life. So if you yep. re rewind the show and you're listening to about personal purpose, he's speaking to that. Yeah. Uh, what I love about Gino is he comes out with a ranking system. So you actually leave knowing where you stand and where you can actually go, right? Not fluffy, actually results in action driven. Yeah. So it sounds good. And now I actually know what to do. Game so if you're plan. looking for a place where you can get it done, where it's action oriented, where it's fun and a spark of energy, and you're looking to better your business, you can go to the Exit Planning Summit without doubt. And you can see both of us there. We'll be there. Both of us there. I'll certainly be there. I'll probably be pretty busy. I hope you're but, there. <laughs> you know, I, I should be there. I should be there. That's the plan. Okay, Scott, I have two questions to wrap up for you. Sure. We talked a lot about personal purpose and, you know, and personal growth, actually. So what impact do you, as Scott Snyder, want to make on the world or what legacy do you want to leave? My legacy would uh, probably be, uh, I'd like to change the way business owners do business daily. I think that like the big goal is I'd like to see our value acceleration methodology taught inside of schools. So when Ooh, you go to business school, you're actually in part being taught value acceleration. So cool. Pete and Rich kind of founded our profession back in 2005. My dad took their concepts mixed with his concepts and process yeah. and made it more realistic, right? He said, okay, these are good philosophies, but the complaint is, I don't know how to put it into action and get you done. Yeah. My dad gave you the methodology to go put it into action and to give results. Now, my legacy is to take it so far that it's actually affecting the way business owners exit. And then my my stamp would be to see it be taught at the college level or maybe at like an MBA type type level. Oh, I so love that. That would be my legacy. We should talk right. about that. I, yep. Uh-oh, here we go. That'll be our next conversation. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right, Scott. And then my last question for you is, what is your greatest insight or discovery between life and entrepreneurship? What a great... I mean, I can have many, right? I, it's like, I saw this question come come from you too. And I was like, Man, where do I start? Yeah, you got to just you gotta, left it. So you could, well, I left it. So it's just going to be like a frank and authentic answer that is of me today. And I'm probably, good. You know, I'll probably have a ton of little life lessons. I would say the thing that comes to mind today is never be afraid to run your own path. I think, what's that? Like, I think it's like a, a saying, it's actually written on my wall in my home. And I, every day I walk up the stairs and before I hit the landing and turn, I'm looking at a wall and it says, do not go where the path may lead, but travel where there's no path and leave a trail. I think that it's easier said than done. But if you could do that, yeah. whether it's small, whether it's like, hey, I don't know if I should go try out for the professional soccer team. No one's ever done it in my family. Or I go. don't know if I could go. I don't know if I could go back to art school because I, I missed my opportunity because I might have had kids or mm -hmm. whether it's something big like, you know what, I'm going to quit my job and start this company because I'm passionate about entrepreneurs. and I think I have a really good idea, whether it's small or large in your life make the commitment because you'll be happier on the other side, even if you fail. So that would be my life lesson. I love that. I love that. And on that note, uh, Scott, thank you so much for letting me steal some of your minutes today. Um, if people it. wanted thank to you. reach out for more information or get in touch, what's the best way to contact you? Two ways. Just go on LinkedIn, type in Scott Snyder, Snyder with an I, S-N-I-D-E-R. 
You can see me there. I try to share a bunch of content about stuff that me and Kylie talked about today. More simple, perhaps you could look at earnsepa.com. SEPA is spelled C-E-P-A. So earnsepa.com if you want to learn more. Awesome. Scott, it's always a pleasure chatting Thank with you. you. Thank you yeah, so I like much. This, stuff. this is good. Shot yeah, energy. Th- This has been awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll chat soon. All right, cool. See you later. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.